Good morning, everybody. I see the Treehouse folks are already heading out, so if you are in the K-5 through class, go ahead and line up the back with the Masseys this morning. Thank you. All right. Well, happy Easter, everybody. I believe that the, the right thing to say is he is risen. And that is the right response. So, okay. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <clears throat> so, I want to just ask real quick before we get started how many of you remember your first car? See the hand up real high. Remember that first car? Okay. Some of you were like, woo, yes, I know that. And that's like etched in your heart and your mind forever. My first car was a 1979 Ford Mustang. Don't, don't be too impressed. It was not a good year for the Mustang. However, um, an older lady, co-worker of my dad's, found out that I was looking for the car, so she sold it to me for $900. Beautiful. Beautiful. If you go ahead and Google 1979 Ford Mustang, you'll see what I was dealing with. But nevertheless, it was a, it was a Ford Mustang. But that's not what captured my heart. What captured my heart was the truck that my neighbor sold my dad when they moved. Now that truck, a 1963 Chevy C10 long bed, that thing was amazing. I mean, I'm talking power, beauty. This thing was amazing. Now, unfortunately, it was a mess. All right, it was old, it was rusted out, um, but it ran pretty good. I mean, let's just say the streets of Lily Court had way more than its fair share of burnt rubber on the street, right? Three on the tree, everybody know what I'm talking about? No, half of you don't know what I'm talking about. That's how you shifted the, the yeah, three on the tree. Yeah, only three gears, that's all you needed. Yep, the first one, I get you to zero to 60 and like that. Anyway, I digress. Problem is, it was not in the best shape, generally speaking, all right? It was a mess. Now, I don't have a picture of the actual truck that I had, that I had, that I inherited, but I do have one that came pretty closely. Just put that first picture up. There she is. I mean, it was pretty close to that, but um, rusted out. The interior... How many of you have ever gotten in an old car, the, the material of the seats all tore up and hardened and you like slice your hamstring every time you get in there, right? So you got duct tape everywhere. That's what we're talking about here. It was in need of a lot of work, right? So I start out on this journey to restore this sort of beast of a ride, we'll call it. Now, I was not the best candidate to do this kind of work. I was a young teenager, impatient, with a can of Bondo and a couple of cans of gray primer. But I went to work because I had a vision for this thing. But the result was the same mess covered up with lumpy dent work and some gray primer. But what I had in mind as I was like pouring myself into this thing, I knew what it was gonna look like one day. You wanna know what it was gonna look like one day? This is what it was gonna look like one day. Same exact truck. Isn't that beautiful? You want to see it from a different angle? I know you do. Look at that. Man, that is sweet. That long bed, that eight-foot bed. I mean, 
Yes. We can have another shot, Lee. We do. Look at the front. That thing is mean. Right? Oof. How about the bed? What do you think a bed of a 1963 looks like? Oh, yeah. Not metal. Wood slats. Stained. Beautiful. Loved that car. Truck. But to restore a truck or vehicle to that degree takes a lot of effort and a lot of skill. I wonder how many, anybody here in the room, maybe not to this degree, but has anybody put in the effort of restoring an old car? A couple of you folks have, right? So, or maybe you've seen a TV show. You know what it takes in order to get from point A to point B. Now you may be asking yourself, is this an Easter message? Did I come to hear you talk about your 63 Chevy? Listen, we're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. The tomb was empty. The, one of the most, as Mark said, one of the most significant events in history and in our Christian world. And so we're absolutely going to spend some time talking about that. But the emphasis, sort of the thrust of the message for us today is, what does that mean for us today? What does the empty tomb, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ, why is it significant for human beings now, 2,000 years later? And so I'm going to use as sort of a point of reference the opening verses of Psalm 103. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, you have an app on your phone. If you want a hard copy of the scripture and you don't have one, there are some on the back table over there. In fact, that table on the back, all of the books... The resources, it's all free. So if you, if you see anything on there you want to take it, please do, including the Bibles. But we're going to be in Psalm 103, and we're going to look at the first five verses. So I should probably turn there as well. Somewhere in the middle, right? Oh, look at that. I had it marked. How convenient. Psalm 103, we're going to read the first five verses. This is what the word of the Lord says. The Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let me pray and just ask for the Lord's help this morning. Father, we come to you right now humbled and grateful for the fact that we can stand here confident that you rose from the dead. You told us that that would be necessary, that your death would be necessary, but that the resurrection, the defeat over death was necessary. And Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to this place, this earth that you created on our behalf and made a way for us. God, help us to reflect on the resurrection on what it means for us today. Why is it significant? It's not just another holiday. It's not just another thing on the calendar, Lord, but it means something for us today. Help us this morning, Lord, to grab hold of this truth and apply it in our lives. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okie dokie. So there's a number there on the screen. It just happens to be... Yeah, I'm just going to keep that in front of you the whole time. Uh, if you have any questions during the, during the course of the sermon, would you text them to that number? And then Mike and I are going to come up at the end of the service and we'll 
We'll do our best to answer those questions. Something we do on a regular basis every week just gives you an opportunity to interact with us. I think it's, it's important because sometimes you have questions. You're like, hey, what about that? And then you leave and you're like, maybe never think about it again. So we want to give you the opportunity to, to interact with us in that way. Okay, you ready? Audrey's ready. She's the only one. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip my hand a little bit at the beginning here and kind of let you know where I'm going because I think it's important that you kind of get in my mind frame of, of how I feel like this is going to pan out. So here's what's going to shape us. This thought, our value, our true value is found in Christ, and it's only uncovered once we've been restored. Our true, our true value is only found in Christ, but it's only revealed or uncovered once we have been restored. So maybe the gears are turning, you're starting to already see, okay, I understood why you opened with the illustration you did. And if you enjoyed the illustration of a car being restored, I'm glad, because it's not going away. I'm going to keep talking about it. And if you don't like it, you can blame the Lord. I'm serious, because he's the one that gave me this message. Not like we had this like one-on-one conversation necessarily, but about 10 days ago, I was just minding my business, praying to, to, the, to the Lord. And he starts just kind of giving me these thoughts and ideas, and I, and I start writing them down. And then I would pray a little bit more, then he'd give me a little bit more. And it was like, okay, this, this would make a good Easter message. And he's like, yes, that's why I'm telling you this. That's not how we talk, but that's kind of summarizing. This is kind of how it happened. But it went on for like a half an hour, and I got all these pieces together. I'm like, all right, how do I work this out? So again, if you have a, an issue with the, uh, the illustration I'm using, you know where to go. Sermon title. Our true value. Scripture this morning, it started out with this sort of cry of, of worship to God. How many of you are familiar with that scripture? Probably some of you are like, oh yeah, I know that one. I've memorized it or I've sung it before. But just this idea, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. How many of you guys know the Lord is worthy of that kind of thoughtfulness and devotion? Amen. I mean, that's David. He's like all in. Like with everything within me, all that I have, bless the Lord. I have nothing apart from him. That's the level of intentionality that we've got here. There's a, an old scholar theologian named Matthew Henry. He's got um, all kinds of writings and, and materials. But he said... Over 300 years ago, when talking about this psalm in particular, he said this. In reading this psalm, we must, in a special manner, get our hearts affected with the goodness of God and enlarged in love and thanksgiving. I love that idea. Get our hearts infected or affected by the goodness of God and enlarged in in love and thankfulness. Wouldn't that be a great practice for all of us? Just like being in the presence of the Lord to the point where it affects us, it overcomes us, it shapes who we are. But what is it exactly that David is being thankful for? He's not just kind of broadly going, hey, thank you. And he starts out like that and then he kind of digs in. Take a look at the rest of the psalm, starting at the end of verse 2. Let's just take a look at it. Don't forget, don't forget what he's about, right? Forget not all his benefits. What are they? Verse 3, forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
So when it comes to the descriptive parts of what God has done, those sort of four or five things, does the word restore feel appropriate in describing those things? Because when I read this, there's no sense in which your being, like who you are, is somehow replaced with a better version of you. I don't see that. He forgives you. He heals you. He redeems you. These are the actions taken on something that's in dire need of help. And it's helped. It's changed. It's made new. It's restored. Consider the old 63 Chevy. Rusted out, broken down, in need of a lot of care. Not only that, but special skills that are necessary to restore. Otherwise, what happens if you don't restore an old car? Where do junkers get sent? They go to the junkyard, right? And eventually, they end up in that really cool machine that makes them a box like this big, right? They get destroyed and lost forever. And unless it is restored, that's its fate. So you're not making something new. You're simply bringing something broken and rusted and unusable and unenjoyable back to its true function and original design. But can the car fix itself? Can a car restore itself? At least not yet. Right? Maybe someday that'll be the thing. But right now, it can't. You can't even have a person who has no mechanical or bodywork experience to restore the car. Example shown here. Like, I did my best effort. It did not look like that when I was done. You need a certain person who is qualified to do the work. Otherwise, what you end up with is a knockoff version of the original. So just let's put our heads together here. Let's, let's think. What are some of the things that you need to do in order to restore a car? <clears throat> what are some thoughts? Money. Well, of course you need money. <laughs> you definitely need money. But what are some things you need to do to the car? Sand, Sand it down. Get rid of all the rust. What else? Primer. Primer. Dents. Get rid of the dents. Upholstery. Dents, upholstery inside, right? Mechanical. Me mechanical stuff. Okay, so we got two categories of things. We've got... All of these things that have happened over the years where the elements of this world have really done a number on it, right? And maybe some careless driving and some dens and all those kinds of things. So we're repairing damage from years of use, perhaps misuse, abuse. Not that I was guilty of that at all, but perhaps I was. You know, not doing the proper routine maintenance over the years, not doing your oil changes, your fluid changes, tune-ups. And what happens? The older the vehicle gets, the less inclined you are to do the things that you ought to do to maintain it, right? But the value, the true value of this restored vehicle, which was once it was unrealized in its current rusted state, is only fully realized once it's been restored. That's when people, man, they come out of the woodwork and they're like falling over themselves to look at your beautiful vehicle, right? They have car shows just so you can, people in the world can see, look at what, look at what I did. Look at the beauty of this thing. It's amazing, right? But five years ago, when it was a hunk of junk in your driveway, people were calling the HOA on you because it was like, get this junker out of here, man, right? My friends, God is in the business of restoration. 
God is in the business of restoration. And he takes rusted out people who are tarnished by the sin in our lives and he makes them new. That's what he does. He restores people to their original design and function. And their true worth and value becomes apparent. Listen carefully. It has nothing to do with anything that you have done. Because like the car, you can't restore yourself. In fact, you can't even help a little bit in restoring your soul. You can't. We are rusted out shells of our original design. Dead and beyond repair from anything this world has to offer. Why? Because it's the sin in our lives that has put us in this position. Separated from God and unable to see our true purpose and value. Now this is not my idea. This is the reality that scripture presents to us. And I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures to kind of back up my point. Let's look at Isaiah 53.6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. There's a couple of all-inclusive words in there, right? Not to start off with, but all. <laughs> all means all. All of us, like sheep, we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. What happens when we turn to our own way and we ignore the way in which God has called us to live our lives? What enters in? What's the result of that? Sin. Yes, absolutely. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, probably, but sinful ways come at a cost. Let's see what that cost is in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. That is a spiritual death. That is a separation from God. Not just temporarily, but when we pass from this life into the next, there's a separation that happens. That sin, that gulf, is what keeps us apart. And then my two favorite words in the Bible... But God. Let's look at Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a life free from sin. He gave up his life freely. And he died in our place. That's what we celebrated a couple of days ago. Good Friday, right? Hung on the cross. He took the punishment that we should have paid for our rebellion. I read this morning, somebody, uh, it was a cool little quote. It said, Jesus had to die as a rebel because we are rebels. Whew. That's what he did on the cross. He accomplished that. He made a way for us to come back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then, of course, we celebrate this morning, three days later, after that incredible moment in history, Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated sin and he defeated death. That's how he's able to forgive your sins, to heal your diseases, to redeem our lives from the pit, as David said, and to crown us with steadfast love and mercy that's the significance of this Easter miracle. He can do it because he rose. A couple of weeks ago we talked about this, but I'm going to re-hit it just real quick. If this didn't happen, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death to life did not take place, our faith 
is in vain. And we're still dead in our sins. It's all pointless. It's all pointless. If 2,000 years ago, the tomb is not empty and Jesus is still dead. But it was empty. Right? You don't believe me? Let's look at Matthew 28. One of these accounts from the Gospels. Now after the Sabbath, which was Saturday, right? Toward the dawn, now we're talking the first day of the week is Sunday. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, my friends, has incredible significance for all of humanity. Through the cross and through the resurrection, we have been made new. If we have repented and believed. We repent, in other words, we change our mind about who God is and who we are and the sin in our lives and the rebellion and and the necessary payment, punishment for that. And we believe, we put our trust in the fact that what Jesus did on the cross is in fact enough. And I do nothing to earn it. Listen, if I think in any way that what I do contributes to my salvation, I'm saying that the death of Jesus is not enough. Is anybody here willing to say that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was not enough for your salvation? I hope not. You do nothing. I do nothing to contribute to my salvation. He did it all. And we turn from our sin and we believe in that accomplishment. God is in the business of restoration. That's what he does. He turns sadness into gladness. Sickness into health, chaos into order, and ultimately he turns death into life. He restores. But a restored car, while a very beautiful thing, it's not meeting its intended use sitting in the garage underneath a dust cover. Right? Although a lot of people do that. It was meant to be a mode of transportation, to be driven. Just like people. When we are restored, we're not meant to live our lives just in the garage underneath a dust cover. That's not our intended purpose. Our true value is brought out and seen when we do what we were originally intended to do. That is to love and serve and worship God and to share with the world the hope of the restoration that is possible through Christ. We have a purpose that we've been restored to. It's not a one and done. Right? Even with the car. You can't just do it and then let everything else go. You still got to wash it, care for it, routine maintenance. You got to drive it within the limits. There are things that that you got to do. Routine maintenance, we call it, right? Our lives are the same way. When we become Christians, it's not a one and done check mark into heaven. Just sit back and wait. We're still on the earth. And while we have work to do, we also have to recognize that there are things in this life that can 
have a negative impact. We're still susceptible to the elements of this world that may harm us, prevent us from being a clear picture of the restoration made possible through Christ. So what's our routine maintenance then? How how can we be and remain that 63 Chevy in 2022? What does that look like for us? Well, it's a sermon for another day. But here's what I can tell you. I assure you it's got nothing to do with your performance or your ability to maintain a standard. And it has everything to do with understanding your true value and purpose comes from the Lord. It's it's John 15. If you want a hint, go and read John 15. That's the idea of abiding, remaining in Jesus, being connected to the vine who is the source of all that we need to do what he's called us to do. So if you've trusted Jesus and you've professed faith in him, you've been forever changed. You've been restored. And you're a wonderful, precious child of God. <clears throat> Amen to that. But we got to remember that our true value is only found in Christ. And it's, and it's only uncovered once we've been Restored. So the question for all of us this Easter Sunday morning is, have you been restored? Have you been restored and do you know your true value? Only you can answer that question for you. So I'm going to leave it there because I think I've given you a lot to think about, which is, I think what God was intending for us is to, to celebrate the resurrection and the hope that we have in him But to really sit with that, sit with that truth, sit with the idea of being restored and put into use, proper use, our original design and intention. What does that look like for you tomorrow when you get up and face the world? That's my prayer for all of us as we reflect on this Easter morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much that we have been restored once we put our faith in you, once we... Once we change our mind about who you are and who we are in light of your goodness and perfection. God, we trust in the fact that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live a life free from sin, to die on the cross, to shed his blood. His perfect, sinless blood, which is the only acceptable sacrifice and atonement for our sins. Jesus, you died in our place. You took our punishment. You you took the wrath of God poured out on you instead of on us. That's the good news. We've been made new. We've been restored. But we've got work to do, Lord. We know that. We're not just biding our time and waiting it out. Lord, we have have a, a purpose in this life. To know you and to make you known. God, would you just flood our hearts with a passion for the people who don't know you. God, that we would live our lives not perfectly. You don't call us to perfection, but you do call us to obedience. And as hard as that may be sometimes, Lord, just have your way in us. Show us, Lord, the ways in which We need to trust in you more fully, rely on you 
more deeply. God, show us what that routine maintenance looks like for our lives today. And help us every day reflect on the fact that all that we do is for your glory and for our good. We celebrate the resurrection this morning. We praise you that you are risen, Lord. And the church said, Amen. Hey, would you stand? We're going to sing a song in response to the Lord. So raise your voices.